You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, well, good morning again. So, somebody came up to me. My friend Bruce came up to me. He said, hey, you never announced your Tuesday night class. I'm like, I will, I'll announce it. I weave it into my message. Um, did you know there's a Tuesday night class coming up? <laughs> what is it on, you may ask? Well, just some light topics. Uh, we are going to be exploring. It's, it is going to be so much fun. I shouldn't I always promote my classes, but they are going to be fun. Um, heaven and hell and everything in between. <laughs> so any question you have about everything after we die, those sorts of things, um, this is what we're going to be exploring for eight weeks. Starts this Tuesday, uh, 7 o'clock uh, in the Burke Room, or you can join on Zoom, and you can register just online. But uh, that's going to be a fun class. I taught it a number of years ago. I've revised the whole class, um, and uh, yeah, that's coming up. So just to give you a heads up on that, uh, this, starting this Tuesday. So we're carrying on in a series, <clears throat> and, and the series is on prayer. Last week. Pastor Sam spoke on listening to God's voice in our lives. This morning, I'm going to look at how can we talk to God? And when I was preparing this, I thought, what a thing to say. How can we, I'm going to teach you on how to speak to the author of all reality. I mean, this is, this is big. Now, I don't know about you, but I find prayer, at the same time, one of the easiest things to do, and one of the most intimidating things to do. When I first became a Christian, I became a Christian as an adult, um, prayer actually seemed really easy to me. I, I couldn't believe that, that I, I could now speak to God. I could speak to God. And so I spoke to God. And I, and I was so excited about this. And it felt very natural. I spoke, God, listen, how easy is this? Time went by. I started going to church. And then something changed. First off, as I heard other people praying, and I'm like, man, those, those, those are pretty impressive prayers. They're using some pretty sophisticated words that I didn't even know what they meant. And I started feeling self-conscious about my prayers. And I started wondering, you know, am I, am I saying this right? I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not using the word verily. I don't know thee and thou. And, you know. The second thing that happened that threw me off is that I learned that part of being a Christian involves praying with other people. And I don't know, that was terrifying. I remember one time I was, um, I was a brand new Christian, and I was at this church, and through a series of circumstances, don't ask me how, it was just strange, but I was running tech for a conference, and if you know me, it's just like, what? Yes, uh, I guess they had nobody else. So I was running tech, and the conference was going on, and it was a big conference, and they were all pastors. And, they, and, they, and the, the, the keynote speaker says, well, let's begin 
by breaking into groups and just praying for this conference. And I was working tech in the back table. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm sitting back here. And, and everybody broke into groups. And the keynote speaker says, David, let me pray with you. I'm like, oh. And he sat down with me. And he's praying. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. I was so nervous. And then I experienced the whole phenomenon of, of small group prayer. Have you done those? Some of you in small groups? And you're in a circle? And people are praying? And it's like a shark? It's getting closer to you. You're not listening to a thing they're saying. You're thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And finally you're like, you know what? Nobody's prayed for Bob. I'll pray for Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob is, Bob's not doing well. I'll pray for Bob. And then the guy beside you, and Lord, we just lift up Bob to you. I'm like, ah, I got nothing. I got nothing. Thanks for this day. Amen. Right? It's just, it's so stressful. <laughs> it's true, right? I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, okay. <laughs> but now, but now, but now, there's a whole new problem that's emerged for me. The problem is, is now I'm a pastor, and I've learned the skill of praying. On a good day, I can pray with the best. I've learned some words along the way. I can use omission and commission. I can use the words omnibenevolent. I know how to use verily. And given the demographic, I know the appropriate use of thee and thou. So I've learned. But here's the danger. I have learned to pray without really praying. You know what I'm saying? When somebody says, hey, why don't you, you know, this is an occupational, hey, pastor, why don't you kick things off with a little prayer? As if, you know, you can see a book in the meeting with prayer. And, I, I, and if somebody said, David, pray. I, can pr- I can pray right away. But my heart's not there. I'm just saying the words. What a horrible skill to develop, to be able to pray and not really pray. If we're not careful, pray, prayer easily becomes something that you just do. Becomes something that you do before a meal. It means you got the green light to go ahead and eat. Prayer becomes kind of a perfunctory act before you get down to the real business of life. Now let me ask you. What is prayer like for you? Does it come easy? And where do you struggle in talking to God? Today we're going to look at a, it's a difficult question, but it's an easy question. And the question, how, how do I talk to God? How do I speak to God? Now, there's a lot of books out there that will teach you how to pray. Some of them good, a lot of them bad. Um, we do actually have, for this um, series, we have a prayer guide that uh, my dear colleague Ryan put together, Pastor Ryan, and it's really good, and it's available at the, uh, at the information booth if you, if you want to grab one after. But I find that learning to pray, um, it's, it's challenging. 
But I do find that even in, 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 in our call to learn how to pray, that God is gracious. And that God has given us a gift to teach us how to pray. And that gift is his word. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. And I want to say something about prayer that's absolutely key. And you need to get this. Is that prayer is always, always, always responsive. All prayer is responding to God. If you don't get this, you're toast. Prayer is responsive. God is always on the front foot. And so if you desire to pray, you know what that means? Is that God the Spirit is drawing you to himself. How cool is that? If some of you is like, ah, I'm dissatisfied with my whole prayer life. I, I wish I could pray better, but I can't. And you know, I, I'm no good at praying. That dissatisfaction that you're experiencing is a sign that God is drawing you to himself. Because if he wasn't, you wouldn't care if you're praying well or not. You wouldn't even think about prayer. And so you have to get this, that God is always on the front foot. We long for him because he longs for us. We reach out because he first reached out to us. Nothing in the spiritual life begins with us. It always begins with God. It's always a response to God's great grace, and we need to get that. You miss this. Again, the theological term is you're toast. You are toast. You got to get this. So how do we learn to pray? Well, the gift that God gives us is actually smack dab in the middle of your Bible. And it's called the book of Psalms. The Psalms are a gift to help us, as one author put it, answer God. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at the books of, book of Psalms. Now, there's 150 of them, so we better probably get going. Um, the book of Psalms are really important. Uh, we know that, uh, that uh, Jesus himself was schooled deeply in the Psalms. He grew up in a... Synagogue where psalms would be prayed regularly. We know that his mother Mary, um, who would be responsible for a lot of the teaching in the home, was schooled in the book of Psalms. When visited by the angel Gabriel, Mary's response was saturated with the psalms. When Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? The words that he spoke from the cross. And we're going to do a series on this. We're from the psalms. In fact, throughout the New Testament, you find quotations of the Psalms everywhere. It saturated the imagination of the early Christians. There's a church father, a fellow named Athanasius, who lived in the 4th century. And he says this about the Psalms. He says, most of Scripture speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. And so the book of Psalms is the church's prayer book. It, it, it contains prayers that train us, that tutor us in a life of prayer. What the book of Psalms does is it gives us words when we do not have words to pray. They are a gift from God to teach us how to answer God. So if you're here this morning and you want to learn how to pray, well, the best resource is found in the Bible, in the book of Psalms. 
And, uh, and you see this throughout history. I mean, in the, um, in, in, in the early um, Benedictine monasteries, um, in the um, 7th century and in the 8th century, um, you would have the Benedictine monks, they would pray in a week. They'd pray all 150 psalms. Before the Benedictines, you had more hardcore <laughs> monastic groups, and they would pray all 150 psalms in a day. Every day, for year after year. So, how do the Psalms teach us how to pray? Well, if, if you're familiar with them, you'll know this, is that the Psalms, they work as a mirror to our lives. Martin Luther, the old reformer, once said this. He says, when you read the Psalms, you learn to pray the Psalms. When we read the Psalms, what happens is we cultivate what uh, a fellow named um, James Houston, uh, founder of Regent College, said. He says, you develop a psalmic imagination. And more often than not, the Psalms that you'll read, that you learn to pray, will actually speak to a situation that you're facing in your day-to-day life. This has happened to me. So Has it happened to you? For some of of you who are familiar with the Psalms? You're reading the Psalms, like, yeah, this is kind of what I'm going through right now. I remember there's one psalm, one of my favorite psalms, is Psalm 73. And I, would, I read it right after um, I had left China, and I had left this company, and it was a very corrupt company, and I left the company, put forth many, many lies to say that I had stolen documents from this company. And so my name was dragged through the mud. All sorts of untrue things were, were accused against me, and I was, I was so mad because I said, I thought to myself, I tried to do the right thing and these guys have gotten away with murder. And I was so upset. And then he came across Psalm 73. And Psalm 73 is, I'm not going to do the whole psalm, but it just begins like this. It says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have slipped. And what he's saying is like, I know that God is good, but for me, my feet are slipping because the the rich are getting away with murder. The corrupt are getting away. And, and nothing seems to stick to them. Nothing seems to, they don't get justice. They get away with murder. And I'm reading the psalm, and I'm like, yes. Yes, that's exactly what I'm experiencing. The psalms, if, if you're familiar with them, are not in some nice, orderly arrangement. Now, I think that's intentional. Do you know why? Because I don't know about you, but my life is not in a nice orderly arrangement. And I like to find a section in the Psalms that deal with bad bosses. I like to find a section in the Psalms that deal with really bad drivers. Um, But you're not going to find it. And so the Psalms really can't be ordered. Now, they are divided into five books to mirror the, uh, the, the five books of the Torah. But thematically, they don't really seem to follow a pattern. The other thing about the Psalms is that they're brutally honest. <laughs> You're not going to get some sanitized language happening in the Psalms. They are brutally honest. And they express a full range of emotion. Which, again, is like life. Think about today. How many emotions have you experienced since you got up this morning and coming in here today? <laughs> Some of you, quite a few, right? And Eugene Peterson, um, 
He's an old uh, theologian, biblical writer. He says this, he says, Psalm language is not careful about offending our sensibilities. And so the, the language of the psalms, it, it pulls no punches. It, it's poetic, yes, but it's also raw. And so you'll find, you know, Psalm 23. How does Psalm 23 begin? Some of you know. The Lord is my shepherd. And you're like, aw, the Lord is my shepherd. That's, that, and that's why it's beautiful, right? And it's right next to Psalm 22, which begins... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? They're right next to each other. You'll find uh, Psalm 89, which begins, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Oh, cool. But it comes right on the heels of the end of Psalm 88, which says this, You have taken my companions and loved ones from me, and darkness is... Psalms of vengeance. Can we pray those? I mean, <laughs> and there's quite a few psalms of vengeance in here. And so one of the psalms I was thinking about this week is, is uh, in Psalm 139, which is a psalm that, it's a beautiful psalm. You know, you have searched me, O God, and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise. It's really good. And most people, and a lot of churches, will, 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 will read the whole psalm and skip a part. Because you get to this one part, and it says, Lord, were I to count your thoughts that are so precious, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I am awake, you are still with me. Ah. And then verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. <laughs> Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. <laughs> Test me and know my anxious thoughts, right? And usually pastors, we, we skip over that part because it kind of spoils the mood, right? <laughs> so what do we do? Do we pray those? Do we pray that? I mean, God would probably think, well, you're thinking it. Right? He may as well pray it. Some of you might be thinking, well, can I really pray that my enemies would die a horrible death? Really? Awesome. Can I pray that my boss will be hit by a truck tomorrow? <laughs> no, you can't. I'm sorry. Um, and you know why? It's because Jesus teaches us a new way. Jesus teaches us that we're not only called to love our friends, but we're called to love our enemies. And we're also called to pray for them. So then, what do we do with these psalms? Well, I think we can still pray these psalms, but we can pray these psalms um, in light of what Paul teaches us, is that behind all sin, all the darkness in this world, are, are, are spiritual forces of darkness. And we can pray against those, Right? We can pray against the injustices of this world because a lot of those psalms are, are heart cries against injustice in this world. 
I think we can pray against that. We can pray against the injustice of this world. We can, we can pray the psalms of vengeance as expressing our heart's cry that God would make all things right. We can pray along with the psalmist and say, you know, how long, O oh Lord, how long? And pray that God would make all things right. I think we can do that. Now, what I want to do just in our remaining time together is I want to look at two things. How do we enter into this life of prayer that the Psalms offer us? Well, for centuries, do you know how you get into the book of Psalms? You get in by praying and by looking at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And those are the Psalms. Just briefly, I want to show you how, how they are our gateway into a life of prayer. All right? So if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible, open it right to the middle, and you'll find Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Okay? In honor of God's word, let's stand together. I'm going to read these two Psalms. And as I'm reading them, I want you to think, okay, how do these Psalms serve as a gateway into this life of prayer that God's inviting us into? Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. And terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry. And your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up for in a moment. And blessed are all who take refuge in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, just very quickly. Why are these two psalms so important? One thing you need to notice and maybe you already notice it, is that in this prayer book, the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are not prayers. They're not prayers. But they do help us. They help us enter into this life of prayer. And why, why does the book of Psalms give us two Psalms that are not prayer? to help us enter into a life of prayer. 
I think it's because when you and I sit down to pray, we're not ready to pray. We're not ready. If I said to you, pray, go, uh, you'd probably pull something off, but your heart's not there. When I sit down to pray, my heart's not there yet. And what Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 do is that they, they prepare me to pray. So how do they do this? Well, what does Psalm 1 do? In Psalm 1, we find two things. We find an action and an image. And the first action that, that, that we're, we're, we're presented with is, is, is the psalm asks us a question. Which way is your life heading? Who am I walking with? Who am I standing with? Who am I, who am I sitting with? Who am I identifying with? And if I, keep, if, I keep, if I keep going this way, if, I keep, if my life keeps going in this trajectory, where is it going to end up? And Psalm 1 teaches me that, there, yeah, there may be a way that seems right, but in the end, it may not lead to somewhere good. If, if I align my life, my life with the world's values, if I accept its advice, participating in the world's ways, at the end of the day, I will end up blending in with the world. I'll find myself living out my life as a scoffer and as a mocker. And so the psalm says, hey, come back to the way of life. Life is found when you delight in my word, when you delight in the law of the Lord. The law is not some heavy thing. The law is actually referring to the, the, the uh, five books, the, the Torah, uh, which is, which is life-giving, which is dynamic. And then the image that we get in Psalm 1 is, is that of what? What's the image, that, the metaphor that it's given? We're like a tree. Yeah, we're like a tree planted by streams of water. And so the probing question that the psalm asks you is like, who are you becoming? Given the direction of your life right now, who are you becoming? What kind of person are you becoming? When we align our lives with God, are we come alive? We're like a tree that absorbs God's living waters. It nourishes us. It causes us to grow. We produce fruit. We begin to reflect them in all that we say and all that we do. And, and even when dry periods come, because we're so deeply rooted, we will not be overcome. And so Psalm 1 asks penetrating questions right from the get-go. It asks me, when I read Psalm 1, it says, David, all right, which way is your life going? Who are you becoming? Who are you more influenced by, my word or Netflix? Who's catechizing you? Who's shaping your life? Right? My word or TikTok? And if you keep going this way, what's your life going to become like? And so what Psalm 1 does is it, 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 it helps us to step back and say, all right, man, where is my life going? If I keep going in this direction, how's it going to play out? Right? So it orients you. What does Psalm 2 do? Well, Psalm 2, if Psalm 1 recenters us, Psalm 2 gives us perspective. 
In contrast to the invitation to meditate on the way of God, this psalm describes those who plot. Interesting, in Hebrew, it's the same word, meditate. Who plot against God and his ways. And so what Psalm 2 does, it describes a world that says, hey, we can do just fine without you, God. God, you may exist, you may be real, but you don't matter. We got this. We can control our lives without your help. Thank you very much, God. We can live independently of you. And that's what you find in this psalm, and it's an impressive group of people. You find nations, kings, rulers, the people that we follow on Twitter, now known as X, who occupy the headlines, the celebrities, the politicians, the elites, the power brokers of the world. Or it could be your colleague at work who mocks you for being a follower of Jesus Christ, for going to church. Those who are in your sphere who delight in telling you that you're crazy or narrow-minded or bigoted for believing in Jesus and wanting to live in his ways. And this, this world that we live in affects our prayer life. And what Psalm 2 does is it gives us perspective. It reminds us that things are not as they seem. It, when we pray, when we look at Psalm 2, it reminds us that Though the world seems to be going in all sorts of different directions, we need to know that God, God is still on his throne. And God is still sovereign over all reality. And I don't know about you, but I need that. I need a daily reminder. Because when I look at the news, when I look at my window, it looks like God is so far away. And Psalm 2 says, nah, don't worry. I'm still sovereign. I'm still in control over all of history. I am the Lord. And what Psalm 2 teaches us is that there's no realm of reality where Jesus is not sovereign. There's a fellow, a guy named William Williman. And he tells a story of a man that he knew who went off to Russia in the late 70s. And the guy was sent to Russia to do a report on the state of the church under communism. And, uh, and when he came back and he gave his report on the state of the church under communism, the guy was not impressed. And he asked, well, so what's the church like? He says, the church? The church is dying. You know what the church is? The church is a bunch of old ladies praying. That's all it is. Now, Willimon's telling the story in the 90s. When the statues of Stalin lay crumbled on the ground, where the statues of Lenin had been toppled over, and communism had fallen like that. And Willimon says, yeah, beware of little old ladies praying. They can take down kingdoms, right? And that's what Psalm 2 teaches us. That in the face of all the plotting, all the hubris, all the strutting, and all the hot air, that the powerful puff out how they can change the world, what was God's response to all the strutting and all that? God laughs. He laughs. And in God's laughter, all pretense, all posturing is exposed as an empty shell. So, 
these uh, two psalms, they're our entry point into this life of prayer that God's inviting you. Psalm 1 probes our heart, asks you the question, which way is your life heading? Psalm 2 gives you perspective. It pushes back against a world that tries to intimidate us into silence or distract us into despair. It reminds us that God is on the throne. He is good and he reigns. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you for myself, I need to be reminded of these truths every day. Every day. They shape and they undergird my prayers. So how do you pray the Psalms? Three things. Just, just pray them. Just do it. Don't pick and choose. Don't say, oh, I like this Psalm. I don't like it. Just, just, I've been doing this for years. I just go through the Psalms, and once I get to 150, I start at one again. <laughs> or I start at three again. Just, just pray through them. Sometimes... Sometimes it'll, they'll, they'll resonate. Sometimes maybe they won't. Sometimes, and that's the second thing, sometimes you'll have to pray these psalms for others because you'll be reading the psalm, you'll be praying the psalm. It's like, this doesn't really apply to me, but I know my friend is in a real mess right now. And so you begin to pray for others. And thirdly, try memorizing them. Now, I'm not good at memorizing. I'm good at memorizing like old songs by Rush um, and Led Zeppelin, but... <laughs> And old hockey scores. Um, but I'm not very good at praying, uh, memorizing the Bible, except for the Psalms. The Psalms, there's something about them that make them memorizable. And so try memorizing one. Don't start with Psalm 119. It might take a little while. Um, but what will happen if you memorize a psalm when you're stuck in traffic when you're kind of stuck in a line or whatever, you can just start remembering the psalm. And it begins to transform your heart. The psalms will give you words of prayer when on your own you have none. When you don't know how to pray, when you have no words, the psalms will help you pray. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to lead us into praying a familiar psalm. Psalm 23, and then we'll, go, we'll take communion together, okay? But first, let's pray. And we'll pray the psalm. Let's pray. Lord, you are our shepherd. And because you are our Lord, we lack nothing. When our hearts are restless and distracted, you make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside quiet waters, and Lord, you alone can restore our soul. When we're confused and not knowing which direction to go in life, you guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And when trouble comes and we're having to walk through the darkest valley, we're so thankful, Lord, that we're not alone but you are with us, that your rod and your staff, well, they comfort us. And Lord, you're so gracious and you're so kind. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our head with oil. Your blessing pours over us and our cup overflows. And Lord, we know that because of the cross, nothing can separate us from you. 
And surely your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And there will come a day where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of the cross of Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the communion service to come up at this point. Now, we're going to respond to what you've heard. And the way we respond, the way the church has done this for, for, for centuries is by taking communion. We take ordinary bread, ordinary juice with extraordinary meaning. The bread represents the body of Jesus. So when you take the bread, you're saying, I belong to Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. My allegiance is to Jesus. That's who I belong to. And then when you take the juice, the juice represents the blood of Jesus. And say, like, I, I am brought into this beautiful family and this beautiful life, not because of anything I brought to the table, but because of God's amazing grace. And so when you take this bread, take this juice, you're proclaiming just how good Jesus is and who you are. You're, you're saying to the seen and the unseen world that you belong to this family. So I would encourage you, it doesn't matter if you're from a different church, if you're visiting us, you're welcome. If Jesus is your Lord, if he's your Savior, come and take the bread and the juice. Um, some of you, the, you might, everything you've heard today, and you're like, I want in. I want to be part of this. Well, hey, take the bread and the juice as an act of faith saying, I want in. And some of you are here this morning, you're like, I'm still not there yet. Well, then maybe let the bread and the juice, don't participate in it, but I would encourage you to go to Alpha uh, and, and bring your questions to the table. So as we do this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and you can just follow these instructions in terms of how to come up and uh, take communion. Uh, there is gluten-free, I believe, in the center, right? Yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you recognizing that we are completely dependent upon you. We pray that you would take this bread and this juice and speak into our hearts. Transform us from the inside out. May we align our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.